Father, we just come before you right now. And we give you praise this morning that you are already here. Father, we we center our minds onto you, God. We ask that you would continue to speak to us this morning. Father, we take a moment to to prepare ourselves to listen to you, God. To hear the heart beat of heaven and let us hear. Let us hear your heart beat, God. Lord, we love you. We give you all the thanks and all the glory. Father, you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the Savior and Lord of our lives. God, would you just move in this place? Would you move in these people? Would you move in our hearts to line up with your heart so that we can love the world like you love the world? Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you continue to be faithful to us. You continue to speak to us. And God, you have a plan and a purpose for us. And Lord, would you help us be willing? Would you help us surrender our lives and forget about ourselves enough to allow you to move in our hearts? God, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Mm. All right. Come on now. That's what I'm talking about. God is moving everywhere, isn't he? Amen. That's awesome. Congrats, Christian. All right. If you got your Bibles, what happened? There we go. We're going to try that one more time. They got the cue. Open your Bibles. There we go. Open your Bibles to Luke 23. The pastor this weekend kind of got on to us because he said, we can go to football games, we can go to basketball games, we can get in front of a TV and scream at it like it can hear us. But when the Word of God gets open, we don't cheer, we sit there like stones. Uh, My favorite term is the frozen chosen. Um, Some of you have heard me use that. We just sit there and there's no excitement for this. And uh, so he challenged us to, to get excited when we get in the Word. And so I just wanted to... Give an opportunity for that to happen. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 23. That's where we're going to be. We got one verse today. Um, and as you can see, that's all I got up here. That's it. I just got the Word of God because that's all I need, right? I felt very strongly this week in pre- preparation for the, the message. Two things. I wanted to stay in unity with what's already been laid down by our, our leaders, John and Ashley. And... Also, that I wanted to let go of control. I wanted to let go of control because I believe God is calling us to release ourselves into His hands. And for us to let God, let go and let God. It happens in the streets, it happens at Impact Weekend, it can happen in this church, it can happen in your life. We just have to let go and let God and say, whatever it is, Lord, whatever you have for us, I give it all to you. And I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to step by step let you lead me, and I'm willing to follow. So I got a message for us. 
It's what's doing in my heart. I hope um, you guys don't get offended. But just know that this is me. And I hope God, through working in me, will work in you. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 23. I'm going to do a little promo for a movie coming out. A couple years ago, I think about eight or nine years ago, this book came out. I'm not real positive, maybe even ten years ago. And I know that the church back then had all read this book. And when I first got saved, it was one of the very first Christian books I had ever read in my life. And I remember going up to Lee High School before workouts, opening this book and reading this story about this man who took his family on a camping trip. And while they were on this camping trip, his youngest daughter gets kidnapped. I'm not a father. I don't, I don't know. A, I know the father's love, but I don't know how to love like a father yet. But I can't even imagine what it would feel like to know a father's love and for that to be stripped away from you like that. As the story progresses, the cops find the shack that the little girl lost her life in, and it was a, a very dark scene. And the, the dad, I believe his name's Mac, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't look up the book and reread or anything, so I think his name's Mac. Um, it's been some years since he was at the shack, and in his heart, he has become hard. He's become calloused, he's become hurt, so deeply, deeply hurt. And one day, it's in the winter, he's going out to the mailbox, and he checks the mail, and he gets a letter, and it says, it's been some time, come see me at the shack, signed Papa. Again, I didn't reread the book, so if I got that wrong, pardon me. Signed Papa. His wife used to pray with their family, and she would call God Papa. And so in his mind, he immediately makes the correlation between this letter and his spiritual life with Papa. And so he goes to his best friend and he asks him, what do you think? Do you think I should go to the shack? I don't, I, am I crazy? Like, that's the last place I want to be on earth. And he ends up deciding to go. And without ruining the book or the movie, if you haven't, uh, go see the movie. I think it comes out March 3rd. March 3rd. Go see the movie. Maybe we can go as a church, buy a bunch of tickets and go. Um, I will not be going to that. By the way, I'll be on my bachelor party. But um, So you guys go have a good time. I'm going to go have a good time somewhere else. All right? That's what we do. Uh, but the, the movie's coming out without ruining it, without spoiling it for you. It's just a story of amazing grace and forgiveness. And how a man was so deeply hurt. And how God met him where he was at. And so I'm really excited for that. I'm probably going to reread the book, actually. But this, when I saw the trailer, we went to the movies a couple weeks ago. And when I saw the trailer, it made me start thinking um, about some things that have been going on in my life. And about how I've been hurt. And about what hurt has done to me in my heart. Can we turn off the, the air a little bit? It's chilling here. Are y'all cold? I'm cold. Can we turn off there? It's like blowing on my mic. I'm getting chilly. I'm like, ooh, man. Let me give me a jacket. So I started thinking about, or just turn it down. You don't have to turn it off. Um, or up, whatever, however that works. 
Um, so I started thinking about my hurts. And I came up with four major hurts in my life. Four of them. And I'm going to go from most recent to oldest. Okay? And I'm not trying to shame the people that have hurt me. I'm not trying to put blame on them. I'm using that as an example to show you what God's doing in my life. The first one, if you're married in this place, you know that what you've invited into your life is somebody to come see all your junk. And be vulnerable. And I'm learning that. I didn't expect it to happen in the engagement section of our relationship. But it's happening. We're beginning to become more emotionally vulnerable with each other. And when that happens, sooner or later, you're going to hurt the other one. And Bethany had hurt me early into our engagement. And I'm not going to go into details, but it was a big hurt. And in the moment... She was hurt because she knew it was going to hurt me. And so we were just a circle of hurt. And my heart was to comfort her and hold her and tell her, no, it's okay, babe. It's okay. But that next morning when I woke up, I did have some resentment in my heart and some anger and some bitterness. The second one was Columbia. If you don't know, uh, I just moved back in October from living in South America. I was a missionary in Colombia for 10 months. And what happened on that trip was I got hurt because the leaders and I, both with our baggage, began to conflict. And things that were said, things that I did, things that they did, hurt me. And I still struggle with bitterness, anger, feeling like I've been wronged and I can see how my family comes to my defense with bitterness and anger and feeling like they've been wronged and want to protect me. The third hurt was that when I was a junior in high school. I had been a two-year starter on varsity already at my junior year. Toot, toot. Yeah, toot my own horn here. Um... I had started for two years, got a starting position as a sophomore, moved, kept playing as a junior, and halfway through the season, we had a new defensive coordinator. I was leading the team in tackles, and he benches me. He says, you're not playing on my defense anymore. And I wasn't emotionally like, you hurt my feelings. I was mad as all get out because I didn't see reason behind it. I didn't see why he would think that the leading tackler on the team needs to be defense. Can you see a little pride in here? Um, and I was mad at him. And still to this day, if I get alone and I'm letting the movies in my life play in my head, I think about this coach and I'm like, I just want to karate chop him in the throat. Just take that, dude. Just right in the jugular. And I get so mad about that. And the fourth one, and this is the one that has permeated my life, was when my father left when I was eight months old. I didn't realize what was going on until I was about 12. And that's when the hurt started setting in. That's when the anger started setting in. And these four hurts, these four hurts have, have shaped me, especially the one about my father. I use these in my testimony to tell you where I was and how God is working in my life. But the problem is, is I've started to use these hurts I, I'm glorifying the death part of my testimony. But like, look how bad life was. Especially with my father. I use him a lot as 
as my deepest hurt in life. And I want everybody to know how bad my father hurt me. And so I, I really focus on that part when I tell my testimony. And then I say, Jesus saved me. Thank God. All praise to be to him. But remember that my dad wasn't that great. So that led me to start thinking about our heavenly father. And his hurt that he experiences. And to really understand his hurt, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. We have to go to Genesis chapter 3. You know the story if you've been in church for even a year. You're probably going to hear this story. We got guys over here that's been in church a week. They're about to hear this story. Okay? But this is the story of the fall. God has created the heavens and the earth. He has man, made both man and woman in his image. He has taken them and put them in a perfect world in the garden. And he gave them one rule. Do not touch the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And they did it anyways. Through that disobedience, sin entered the world. And it says when they ate the fruit, they realized they were naked. And God came like he did to walk with him into the garden. And when they heard him, they hid from him. And God comes and he's looking for his people. He's looking for his people. And he calls out to him. And Adam responds with this. We heard you coming. And we realized we were naked. So we hid. And God's response is this. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? This weekend, these teenagers confessed about bullying, about not measuring up, about how the words of their peers, the words of family, has so pierced them that they don't think they're worthy. Who told you you're not worthy enough? Who told you you were naked? You see, nakedness implies some vulnerability. And when you have vulnerability, sometimes, especially when you've sinned like they just did, the first tool of the enemy is shame. He comes in and he makes you feel lower than low. It's his weapon to destroy your identity in Christ. It's his weapon for, for you to close off your heart. And for you to hide from God. For you to hide from people. For you to hide from everybody. And what it eventually does is shame will keep you from loving people and loving God. Because you don't think anybody out there wants to see anything that's in here. Because underneath these clothes is not a pretty sight. But we've got to learn to be spiritually naked before our Father in heaven and in relationship with people. Because the lies of the enemy stop when you realize this about the Father's hurt. Do you not think it hurt God that they would hide from him, his own creation? That they would disobey him? 
But I want you to see something in Genesis 3. God took a lamb, killed it, and made the first sacrifice for sin. God himself began the redemption process at the moment of the first sin. He set forth in motion a plan to redeem us at the very moment we chose to be disobedient to him. And he clothed us. And he continues to clothe clothe us. And so from that moment, he gave the first prophecy of the daughter of, or the son, daughter of Eve, the son of Eve will crush the serpent's head. And he will clothe you in his righteousness is the picture you get when he kills the lamb, makes the blood sacrifice for sin, and he clothes Adam and Eve with the, with the, the skin of that lamb. So we go from that story, Genesis 3, where God is so deeply hurt, and he already begins the redemption process. And then we jump over to Genesis 6, where you get the story of Noah and the ark. And it says only Noah was a righteous man. And there had been probably, I'm going to guess, millions of people by now. And only Noah was a righteous man. And so God continues the redemption process by wiping sin out and promising us redemption through the rainbow. You jump over again to Genesis 12 and he begins to make a covenant with a family Actually, even before that, he begins to make that covenant with the family. But it starts with Abraham. And he promises, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And you will have many descendants. And they will become a great nation. And so Abraham makes this covenant with God. And then he has sons who have sons. They become 12. You get to the story of Joseph. There's a famine in the land. They go to Egypt. We're at the end of Genesis. It starts up again in Exodus. And we realize that the tribe of Israel has multiplied into millions. And they're in slavery. They're in bondage. And God calls one of their own, who is in the house of Pharaoh, who is a murderer, to go on his behalf and set his people free. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh after ten plagues. They get released. They travel all the greatest miracles. Some of my favorite miracles that you read about in the Bible are in this book. And then they go into the wilderness where God gives them the Ten Commandments. And he gives them the law. And he gives them structure. And he gives them identity. And he's trying to restore what shame of sin is taken from them of who they are and whose they are. You will be my people and I will be your God. Listen, this is what this is. We used to walk together. You walked away. I'm coming. You walked away. I'm coming. You walked away. I'm coming. And so from that moment, a nation started when Joshua took the land. And they began a nation. And then they started crying out, I want a king. I want a king. And so what happened is Saul became king. And then he messed up. And so God chose David. And he makes another covenant with David. And he says, you will forever, your descendants, sit on the throne. And from your descendants... The king of kings will come. The root of Jesse will come and he will fix it once and for all. And so we go from 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel to the New Testament. And it is from Genesis 3, God's story continuously of how he's pursuing us relentlessly. Of how he's going to make the way for redemption to happen. Even though we feel like shame and we feel like hiding from God, he's constantly coming after us and saying, it's time, it's time, come follow me. You are my people, I am your God. 
I will make a way for you to be with me because I love you that much. And so Jesus, God's word, comes down, wraps himself in flesh, and lives the life of a servant. He begins to preach the kingdom come, the kingdom come. He walks among us like he did in the garden. And those who were sick had leprosy that were shamed by culture. He accepted and put away shame. And those who were so proud, he loved them enough to speak into their life. And Jesus has loved me the same way. And he has spoken into these four hurts in my life. And he's begun to teach me his heart. This church, John and Ashley, have so beautifully began to preach about us coming in contact with God's heart and letting it rub off on us so that when people see us, they don't see a difference. They see God, whether they're looking at us or communing with Him. We're the body of Christ. He is the head. That's been the message for this church for this year, and it came from our 48 mop a Wednesday night where we all stood in circle. And I think Bill was the first one to say, I just heard the word heartbeat. And from that breakthrough, everybody's just like, yes, 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 yes. And we got the word of God that he is restoring his heart into this church. His heart into our lives. And it has to be because our heart comes in contact with his. And so God took my broken, hurt, bruised heart And he showed me his. And now what I'm trying to do is get it as close and rub up against his heart with my heart so that he takes away my bruises. When you get hurt, this is where the message is going. We'll get to Luke 23, don't worry. You get hurt. I don't know about you. I'm going to speak for myself and hopefully you guys won't stone me. A few things happen. The moment you get hurt, for me, I immediately become defensive. I hide. Whoop. Whoa. Why'd you do that? The second thing is, is my mind tells me I'm not wrong. They are. Because they're the one that hurt me. I didn't do anything. I'm the victim in this situation. And with me thinking that I'm in the right, my pride begins to build and build. And I get so defensive. And at this point now, I'm angry because you're wrong, not me. And my pride tells me that. And I'm not going to back down from any fight. And so I'm going to tell you. And what I begin to do and what I realized I was doing in my relationship with Bethany, it's changed my view of Christianity and I feel like God is really doing a good work in my heart because what I was doing is when I felt defensive, when I felt anger, when I felt my pride rise up, when I was hurt, I took that hurt out of my heart and I made it into a whip and I began to beat the people that hurt me because they needed to know they were wrong and I was right. I'm the victim. You need to feel the hurt you inflicted on me. You need to get beat and hurt like I did. And I've done this with my father. I've done this with that coach. I've done it with teammates in Columbia. And I realized I was doing it to Bethany, my beautiful fiance that God gave me. And I finally saw how it was destroying her. 
Because I was taking my hurt, making it into a whip, and making sure she knew what she did to me. And I did it with anybody and everybody who ever hurt me. Because they had to know I'm right. I'm right. You're wrong. You hurt me. But the word of God came down and wrapped himself in flesh. And the Bible tells us in Romans 3 that all have fallen short of the glorious standard of God. And from Genesis 3 to Romans 3, we don't see any difference. Men are being disobedient to God. They're not in loving relationship with God. And no matter how hard God pursues, no matter in the different miracles He performs, no matter how many words of prophecy you receive, no matter how many signs and wonders you see, men still hurt the heart of God. Men and women. My favorite verse, one of my favorite verses in Romans, is Romans 5, 8. Give me a second. Romans 5, 8. And it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's stop and think about the people who've hurt you in your life. Am I the only one in here who makes that whip out of that hurt and starts beating people with it? You see... God's love is so grand and His plan is so magnificent that instead of Him making a whip out of His hurt and beating us over the head, He turned His back and said, You beat me on my back. 39 lashes. You beat me on my back for you. Because guess what? I'm going to stand in the gap. When God says, They're sinners. They need to be punished. I'm going to say, No, God. Forgive them for they know not what they do. I'll take the punishment. I'll do it. I love them that much, God. I don't care how many times they sin. That's what Luke 23 verse 34 says. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. As He is on the cross, and they're stripping Him naked. And instead of shame, instead of being shame about being vulnerable, He allows them, He lays down His life for the same ones who were destroying him. Instead of becoming defensive when he's at the court with the Pharisees, he stays gentle like a lamb. Instead of letting anger rise up in him, he lets the Prince of Peace, his character, shine forth. Instead of being prideful because he is God, Philippians 2 tells us that he didn't consider equality with God to be something to cling to. So he humbled himself and became a servant. And while they're beating him for what we did, he forgives them because he loves them. This morning... That spoke true to me in our relationship and the relationships I have with people that I come into contact to all the time. My hurt is keeping me from loving people. 
my defensiveness, my pride is keeping me from walking out the calling that Christ called me to. It's keeping me from representing Christ to the world. Because when somebody hurts me, my response is to whip them. Christ's response is to take it for him. It's to lay down his life. And so, if we could just get some music going. I know I didn't tell you I was going to do that. but Guys, we have to get this. Because the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, for those who don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. Jesus tells a parable, and he says there was a man who owed $10,000. I'm paraphrasing. And the, and the owner who gave him that $10,000 came to him and says, You know what? You're good. It's paid for. Don't worry about it. And that man turned around and he went and to somebody who owed him $100 and said, you need to pay me. I want my money. I want what's rightfully mine. Because that's mine. It's my right. I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. I'm not going to be a doormat so you can walk over me. Christ says in this parable, for those who have been forgiven much need to forgive much. I don't know how to teach you to forgive because I don't really know, to be honest. As you can tell, I make whips out of my pain. But I do know That Christ wants the same mind that he has to reside in our heads. We need to renew our minds that when somebody hurts us, we say, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Why would we even do that? Let me tell you why we would go to God on behalf of somebody who is our enemy. Number one, the Bible tells us that when somebody curses us, we are to speak blessings into their life. When somebody does us wrong, we do them good. When somebody hates us like they hated Christ, we are to love them unconditionally. I believe the heart of the Father is found in forgiveness. It's been His motto from the moment we sinned. It's carried to Jesus and Jesus made a way for forgiveness to happen in our lives and He promised us that He is coming back and for those of us who have accepted His grace with undeserved kindness, He showers His grace on us. Forgiveness will be granted to them for their sins. Guys, if we are to love the world like Christ we have got to forgive the world of what they don't understand they don't know they're hurt 
you got to think you're the ones in church. You're the ones who have God. For those who don't have God, what hope is in their life? And so can you lay down your self-righteousness, your pride, your defensiveness for the sake of these who hurt you, for the sake of these across the street, across the world, who need Jesus because of this. And this is what Christ saw in you, it's what He saw in me, and it's what He sees in them. And it's why He went to the cross. Because God says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life, to harm you and not to destroy you. He made you for a reason. You are worth it to Him. And if we're to have the heart of Christ... We have to look at people, no matter what's coming back to us, with God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He made you with a purpose. And I'm going to see that. I'm going to walk by faith. And I'm going to see that purpose come into your life. I'm going to see it happen in these students. Because God is relentless in His pursuit towards us. No matter how hurt we are. And He doesn't let any junk that we try to put in the way of Him keeping Him from getting to us. We throw things at Him to keep Him away and we back up and we back up and He just keeps coming. We need to walk like that. We need to love like that. We need to let it duck off, a water off a duck's back. Forgiveness. Because we believe that these people are the children of God. And they are so loved that Christ would give His life for them. And while they're still sinning against you, while they're still beating you, you need to lay down your life for them. Because God's two commandments is, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your enemy, love your neighbor, love your friend, love your family. As He loves you. As you love yourself. This was the message that was given in Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19. Those two verses exactly. Jesus didn't make it up. He quoted what God established in the beginning because it's been the same message from Genesis chapter 3 from the law of Leviticus. It's the same redemption story that God is pursuing us. He is making a way. And if we're to have the heart of God, we have to be in the same pursuit of those He loves. So that we can love them the same. So this morning I want to give us some time. Because I believe there's some unforgiveness sitting in this room. There's some deep, deep, deep hurts that I heard from our students in just this one row. I don't have time to, this morning to hear your stories, to hear your hurts. But I don't need to know. God does. He knows. But maybe you need to confess them to Him. Maybe it's time to get real with yourself and allow God to speak to you about unforgiveness. And I believe God is calling us to lay down our lives and forgive those and be patient with those who don't know any better. Because we need to forgive them for they don't know what they do. That's the heart of Jesus. It's about forgiveness. So this morning, the altar is open. If we could shut the 
the overhead lights back off. I want to give it some privacy in the room. And this morning, you just go and be with God and let Him talk to you.
Father. Would you change us to look more like you today? Would you allow us to forget about ourselves? Would you allow us to forget about what we deserve? Would you help us forgive those who have wronged us? Would you help us forgive ourselves for wronging you? Would you allow us to walk in grace, Father? Your Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that your grace is sufficient for us, for it's your power made perfect in our weakness. So God, I just pray for this church. We're after your heart, Father. Would you teach us? Would you show us? Would you give us the grace to forgive those around us? Or we want more of you. It's you we want, God. It's you we want to be like. It's you we want to please. It's you we're afraid of. It's you, Jesus. You're the King. You're the Lord. You're my Savior. You're my groom. And I love you. And I want to be in relationship with you, God. Forgive me. Jesus, we all pray this. God, that we know we're sinners and that we need your grace and we're dependent on your love. Father, we thank you for the salvation offered on the cross. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ and and the grace that he offers and the forgiveness he offers, I want you to just pray this prayer. Father, we know I know I am a sinner. I have fallen short many times. Nobody has to tell me how many times I've messed up. But God, I want your grace. I want your forgiveness. I want to have relationship with you, Jesus. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you be with me? Would you come and live within me? Would you dine with me, Father? Or would you save me? Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to thank you for being here this morning. If you need prayer, I'm here. Our students can be.